You're an 18 year old in 1982 and you've made your weekly trip to the record store. It seems like there is more great music out than ever. The Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden, Rio by Duran Duran, and the biggest album of the year, Thriller by Michael Jackson. You love your vinyl albums, but cassette tapes seem to have slowly taken over. But there, on one of the racks, is your old standby. The format that has served you well for years, both at home and on the road. And you don't feel ready to give up on it just yet. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast that looks back on a decade that forever changed the way we dressed, consumed, and connected. And today, we look back on the music format that seems like it went the way of disco and bell-bottoms, but lasted later into the 80s than you may realize. This is a story of the final days of 8-Track. Technology is an interesting thing. As fast as it advances, it doesn't necessarily get adopted just as quickly. There are always the early adopters who want the latest and the greatest, but they represent a small percentage of consumers. According to YouGov, an international research data and analytics group, only about 9% of consumers say they are, quote, actively on the lookout for new devices and services. The average person is often years and years behind the latest technology, whether that be with their phones, tablets, laptops, video games, or even video formats. Right now, I'm sitting next to my iPhone SE 2, which is now three years old. I'm also using a laptop that's about five years old and on its last legs. The newest piece of tech I have is a fourth-generation iPad Air, which is coming up on three years old now. It's the same thing with our entertainment. Even though the VCR came out in the mid to late 70s, it took many years to become part of our everyday lives in the 80s. It started with the format war between VHS and Beta, with VHS eventually winning out, a topic I have a previous episode all about. But even then, it took a while into the 80s for the VHS to appear in most homes. In 1984, sales of VCRs went up 81% compared to 1983. By 1984, the VCR was now in one of every seven homes. By 1986, the Chicago Tribune stated that, quote, the VCR is becoming a household appliance as common as a toaster, unquote. But it took more than a decade to get there. Because here's the issue. New tech is expensive. Not only is it expensive, it can be daunting to even think about replacing your entire movie collection. We went from stacks of VHS tapes, then to DVDs, Blu-rays, and now 4K Blu-ray. I've replaced my movie collection three times and have decided to cut it off at regular Blu-ray. And people hung on to their VHSs. It continued to hang in there as DVD rentals didn't eclipse VHS until 2003. The point is that people seem to hang on to tech for as long as possible. And this is no different with music. 
And this brings us to 8-track, which, along with vinyl records, cassette tapes, and compact discs, represents a key part of the primary physical music formats in our modern times. In case this is the first you're hearing of it, an 8-track tape size-wise is roughly a 4-inch by 4-inch plastic cassette about the size of your hand. It was a self-contained unit that housed a continuous loop of quarter-inch magnetic tape. A stereo 8-track could hold 90 minutes or so of continuous music playtime. The cassettes were actually 4-tracks, but they were in stereo, resulting in 8-tracks. The tapes didn't have sides that you flipped over like a cassette, it was just tracks. That meant you just had to push it into an 8-track player and press play. The in-home units kind of look like a VCR. So how does this technology differ from the cassette tapes of the 1980s? And how did cassette tapes ultimately win out? I'll get back to that in a bit. The origins of 8-track go back to the 50s and 60s, a time when cars only had the option of radio for your listening pleasure. It was better than nothing, but you were limited to what the stations played. Believe it or not, there was actually a short time when some Chrysler cars had record players in them. That obviously wasn't a long-lasting idea, but fortunately, magnetic tape existed. Magnetic tape has a long history, going all the way back to the 1920s, but it became more used in the 40s. In 1954, it was even experimented for use in cars. But that's when Bill Lear came on the scene. Yes, the same Lear from Lear Jets. Bill Lear wanted music on board their planes and saw the promise in magnetic tapes. But he wanted to create something substantial original, and cheap to produce. It was first called Stereo 8, but in 1965, officially became 8-track. The sound was pretty good, and Lear thought maybe this could work well in a car. In 1966, 8-track started appearing in automobiles. By the 1970s, an 8-track player was common in most new car models. By 1975, 8-track represented a third of the American record market. The automobile industry drove the 8-track revolution. Because of the vast inclusion in vehicles, sales of 8-track peaked by 1978, nearly a billion dollars in revenue, or more than 4.5 billion in today's money. And one of the critical parts that led to the success and longevity of 8-track well into the 80s is because of the car. Because the fact is, most people just don't have a new car. The cars on the road during any given year are often the cars of previous decades. According to Car and Driver magazine, barely 6% of the vehicles on the road each year are new ones. On average, the cars you see everywhere are about 11 to 12 years old, meaning that average car on the road is from 2011. And it'll do you one better. My current car is from 2008. When that was released, Barack Obama hadn't even been sworn into office yet. Apple had only just released their app store. But in the early 80s, according to the Federal Highway Administration, cars weren't lasting as long, but still averaged about seven and a half to eight years of age. So if you were traveling in a car in, say, 1981, the average year of the surrounding cars was from 1973 or 
1974. And that's the average. In 1981, for example, some people may have still been driving cars from the late 1960s, especially if you were my uncle. In 1981, even a car from 1976 or 1977 would have still been relatively new. And a lot of these cars still came with a Delco 8-track player. The early 80s was still an era of 8-track. And I went right to the source on this. My dad. In the first few years of the 80s, my dad was in his mid-30s. As he explains it, from the time he started driving to the early 80s to mid-80s, all he ever knew in a car was 8-track. I was born in the late 70s, so in the early to mid-80s, our cars were from the very early 70s. As my dad explained to me, there was, quote, no way in hell he was in a position to have anything close to a new car back then. I actually had to clean that up a little bit. He dug out some old pictures of our street from the early 80s, and every house had older cars from the early 70s that looked like a giant boat on four wheels. He said that even into the second half of the 80s, our family cars were always from the 70s, and that meant a lot of 8-track. It wasn't until the late 70s that cassette decks became common in more cars. And again, these were newer cars. A lot of 8-track was still on the roads. I have very distinct memories of the 8-track player and the cassettes all over the floor of our cars back then. They were colorful, many tapes were red, yellow, or blue, and to me, looked like big Legos. The tapes also just continued playing, which was perfect for long car rides. The sounds of the Beatles on 8-track as we drove north to Cottage Country and Honey Harbor, Ontario, are some of my distinct core memories. So as you traveled the highways and byways during the 80s, you were surrounded by cars and trucks still blasting 8-track tapes. We had vinyl records in our homes, but it was 8-track that went with us on our trips. 8-track represented freedom while on the road to listen to whatever you wanted and not what was on the radio. It was the same revolution that would occur with the release of the Walkman in a time when music became truly personal and transportable. And where did we get all these 8-track tapes? Many came from a company and program that if you grew up in the 80s, you may be very familiar with, especially if you had a nice clean penny lying around. I'm Dick Clark, here with the superstars. Look for them in this TV Guide ad and get 13 albums for a penny when you join the Columbia Record and Tape Club. Plus a bonus album when you fill in this gold box with the number of any extra album. That's 14 records or tapes. The Columbia House and the Columbia Record and Tape Club go back quite a ways, and 8-track tapes were a big part of the promotion. Columbia House offered vinyl records, but a lot of the marking materials of the late 70s and into the 80s showcased 8-track tapes. If you ever joined Columbia House in the 80s, you know that it was too good to be true. And you really weren't getting all these albums for just a penny or a dollar. It was a subscription service by mail, and you had to keep buying from a less than ideal selection. The shipping costs could also be exorbitant. You probably didn't want to borrow your parents' credit card thinking you would get your favorite albums for basically nothing. Not that I'm speaking from experience. But going into the 80s, 
8-track continued to be a significant part of Columbia House. If you didn't have MTV, Columbia House was a way to discover new music. As the 80s began, and for the first few years of the decade, Columbia House continued to offer 8-track tapes. During this period of the early 80s, 8-track still made sense. You could buy vinyl records through Columbia House, but those were limited to use in your home. Since a lot of cars on the road in the early 80s were still older, and probably without a cassette deck, 8-track was the option to play in your home and on the road. With 8-tracks from Columbia House, you got double the bang for your buck, or penny. You could pull the tape out of your 8-track player at home and keep the music going when you hit the road. But what if you were too young to drive in the early 80s and wanted to take 8-track out into the world? Well, General Electric still provided a good solution, a device that continued to be manufactured into the 80s, the GE Loudmouth. If peace and quiet are driving you crazy, get a Loudmouth, General Electric's big sound portable 8-track cartridge player. The GE Loudmouth was a portable 8-track player that looked like a thinner car battery. It had a big speaker on the front, a carrying strap, and the 8-track tape went into the side of it. The Loudmouth even came with a microphone, turning the entire unit into a portable karaoke machine of sorts. The tagline in the printed ad stated that, quote, If music be the food of love, it pays to have a Loudmouth. And 8-track continued to be a big part of pop culture in the 80s, especially on the big and small screen. In 1980, a film was released starring two of the best from Saturday Night Live, Jim Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. The movie was based on a sketch from SNL called The Blues Brothers. In the film, the two drive the iconic Bluesmobile, a classic 1974 Dodge Monaco sedan, complete with an 8-track player. One notable scene from the movie includes the pair listening to an 8-track of the best of Sam and Dave. And speaking of iconic vehicles, we also see 8-track in one of the most beloved TV shows of the entire 1980s, The A-Team. The A-Team van, which was a GMC Vandura, featured mag wheels, a giant red stripe, and a distinctive spoiler. It was also equipped with an 8-track player. 8-Track also gets referenced a few times over the course of the series. One episode of the A-Team features the van getting stolen and then gutted. B.A. Baracus looks over the parts, which includes the 8-Track player. And if you're a fan of horror movies, you may remember the use of 8-Track in the 1980 movie Motel Hell. 8-Track was a big part of music and pop culture, but did it go even further than that, even making its way into the world of 1980s toys. Could 8-Track actually be used for things like toys or a home entertainment game console? Well, 8-Track was used in a few very remarkable products. The first item in question is a console called the Omni Entertainment System. Created by Milton Bradley, the Omni Entertainment System was released in 1980 as part of their MB Electronics brand. The electronics division had found success with the iconic memory game, Simon, and the Omni Entertainment System 
was an electronic quiz machine. It was square in shape with each side containing its own keypad where you could enter numbers and letters. In the middle was a speaker. Questions were provided via eight-track tapes, and after hearing the question, each player competed to enter the correct answer first. The machine could keep score and tell who answered correctly and who answered first. Scores were displayed on small LED screens. The Omni Entertainment System is classic lost media, and the entire system was based around the 8-track tape. Milton Bradley created a true interactive experience with this system, as some of the cartridge tapes featured celebrities asking the questions. Some notable tapes featured Big Bird, NFL player Pat Summerall, and the legendary master of horror, Vincent Price. Smokey and the Bandit grossed $34,745,000 in 1977. This puts it among the top 25 moneymakers since Gone with the Wind in 1939. True or false? The various 8-track tapes available featured sports questions, music, TV and movies, and more. You could even buy an 8-track of Jeopardy, where the Omni would ask you a question in the form of an answer. The system itself even came with an 8-track cartridge that featured four games. The Omni Entertainment System didn't come cheap, though. Looking back through archived Sears catalogs, the sale price was $119. That's nearly $450 today. The 8-track cartridges would also set you back $1199, about $44 in today's money. The Omni Entertainment System really was a unique device. It was part toy, part tech, part Teddy Ruxpin, and part Simon, but entirely based on 8-track tapes. But wait, there's more. And coming up next, a unique toy that was part 8-track and part robot. Everything 80s will return after these messages. Our next 8-track toy example is the quite beloved 2XL from toy company Mego. Mego made a lot of classic action figures like Action Jackson, created to compete with G.I. Joe. They also made many DC figures. Mego also had the opportunity to create a line of toys for a new space movie, but turned it down. That movie turned out to be Star Wars. But in the early 80s, you may remember their toy robot called the 2XL. Hi, you remember my pal 2XL. I am 2XL, the smartest robot in the world. Don't get carried away, 2XL, because I can make you even smarter with these exciting new tapes. For kids, teens... The 2XL is kind of like an early attempt at AI, but also followed the Omni Entertainment System by asking questions. But this time, you had a real robot to do it. Consider the 2XL the predecessor to the Tomy Omnibot, or the Nintendo Rob. The robot was basically just an 8-track tape player, designed to look like it had facial features, like blinking eyes and a body. In 1980, the 2XL was given a bit of a makeover with flashing red eyes that responded to the voice. Coming in at about 2 feet high and weighing 3 pounds, the 2XL had a button for it to ask you a question, then a button for yes or true, 
a button for no or false, and then another button for more info. Because of the multiple tracks on the 8-track, the robot could appear as if it was interacting with you. The 2XL asked you a question, then told you if you were right or wrong. Designer Dr. Michael J. Freeman even synthesized his own voice for the 2XL robot. Between 1978 and 1981, over 40 different 8-tracks were available that covered topics like animals, astronomy, music, and sports. As umpire, you notice that after the ball hits the foul pole on a fly, it goes into the stands, but in foul territory. What call should you make? I will provide three choices. A. Foul ball. B. Home run. Or C. Ground rule double. Please, if you don't mind, answer A, B, or C now. Some of the 8-track tapes from the early 80s also came with a board game to make the toy even more interactive. The 8-track-based 2XL worked well for not only entertainment, but also education. Products like this had quite a jump on the tidal wave of interactive toys that would hit the market in the mid-80s. And I have a previous episode about the history of Teddy Ruxpin that dives into all of that. The first iteration of the Mego 2XL lasted until 1981 and was gone by 1982, which is an interesting coincidence that I'll get back to in a bit. But it's also interesting that in the early 80s, these toy manufacturers seemed to think that 8-track was a significant technology still worth using. The four tracks of an 8-track lent itself well to programming toys to make them interactive. The Mego 2XL ingeniously used the tracks of the 8-track in a unique and creative way, making it popular with kids and educators. A toy like the 2XL really was ahead of its time, all because of 8-track. In the music world, as the 1970s ended, sales-wise, the 8-track was still hanging in there. According to the Recording Industry Association of America, as the 70s ended, vinyl was still king. But 8-track was in second place, with 17.2% of all music sales. However, 8-track was getting quickly surpassed by the relatively new kid on the block taking over. Not Danny, Donnie, Jordan, Jonathan, and Joey, but a format that that group would appear on a lot of, the cassette tape. And just like Beta, VHS, Laserdisc, and Atari, the popular tech of the 80s comes from the decades prior, and the cassette tape is no different. The cassette tape as we know it actually predates 8-track. In the early 60s, the first stereo compact cassette was released by Philips. The first album started appearing in the second half of the 60s, and in 1966, Philips released a portable cassette recorder. At first, the sound was questionable until the Dolby Corporation released its noise reduction system. This substantially changed cassette sound quality going into the 70s. Cassette tapes were smaller than 8-track. 
they held more music and now seemed to sound better. With cassette tapes, it was easier to make mixtapes for yourself or the person you like via high-speed dubbing on a dual cassette recorder. And if the tape came out, you could wind it back in with a pencil. The 8-track was a closed unit, so you were out of luck. The truth is, 8-track had a lot going against it. They were bulky, couldn't rewind, didn't hold up well to heat, and songs could fade out and then fade back in because of the limitations of the tape and the tracks. Here's an example that illustrates this issue using the track listing off the back of the 8-track release of No Jacket Required by Phil Collins from 1985. Track 1 has the song Susudio, Long Long Way to Go, and the beginning of Who Said I Would. After the short gap, track 2 begins with the conclusion of Who Said I Would, followed by Only You Know and I Know, and Take Me Home. Track 3 is I Don't Want to Know, One More Night, and the beginning of Inside Out. And track 4 is the conclusion of Inside Out, then Don't Lose My Number, finishing with the song Doesn't Anybody Stay Together Anymore. Even if it was a brief gap during the song as the track changed over, it still was annoying. And also, in the early 80s, with the competition from cassettes, manufacturers started using cheaper materials to produce 8-track tapes. This led to inferior cassettes and even more frustration from users. In 1980, cassettes officially outsold 8-track. But 8-track just didn't disappear, and later into 1980, still held over 12% of all sales for the year. According to the RIAA, in the year 1980, sales of 8-track still generated revenue of a half billion dollars. That's nearly $2 billion today. But sales-wise, 8-track was fading quickly. Even going into 1981, 8-track managed to hold its head above water with about 5.5% of all recorded music sales. That equaled about $300 million, or just over a billion in today's money. 8-track was really on the ropes, but still hanging in there. Some car manufacturers continued to include 8-track players in new models, including the 1981 Cadillac Eldorado. In early 1982, 8-track still squeaked out 1% of all sales, but that was the end of the line. By late 1982, early 1983, with sales having dried up, 8-track was phased out from retail stores. And 1982 is an interesting year for music. A lot was going on with the various musical formats. It's the year when 8-track fell off and cassettes took their place. But it would still be a few years until cassettes outsold vinyl. But also in the fall of 1982, we saw the introduction of a new format. It was one that seemed like it was from the future the compact disc. Like all technology, the CD was very expensive when first released. The thought of having to, yet again, replace your music collection was daunting. In the early 80s, living rooms like mine were still filled with vinyl and 8-track. In 1982, my family car still had an 8-track, 
but cassette tapes had entered the picture, and thanks to the phenomenal growth of the Walkman, eventually became the preferred music format of the 80s. How was the CD possibly going to fit into all this, especially at those costs? The first CD players would set you back about $1,000. That's over three grand in today's money. The first CDs themselves were about $15 each, or nearly $50 today. That was a hard pass for many people. We were just getting used to cassettes and starting to build our tape collections. Who wanted to replace their music collection for a fourth time? Eventually, though, prices for CD players dropped. In the mid-80s, even though the cassette was on top and outselling vinyl, the CD was quickly catching up. In 1987, the CD eventually outsold vinyl. But the cassette still ruled the land, and it wouldn't be until 1991 that the compact disc finally surpassed cassettes as the dominant musical format. The other thing that makes 1982 so unique is it was the last and only time when the four major music formats all existed at once. Vinyl, cassettes, the brand new compact disc, and last but not least, 8-track. In 1982, you could walk into a record store and find all four formats. But just because 8-track tapes were phased out of retail stores by 1983 doesn't mean they just disappeared. Whether it was at home or in the car, people still had 8-track tapes. Along with the 8-track music collections, that not everyone was in a hurry to replace, my dad being one of them. And for those not ready to give up their 8-tracks, but still embrace cassettes, Sears offered something interesting. Flipping through the pages of the 1982 Sears Wish Book that you can see on wishbook.web, you can find a Sears-branded compact stereo entertainment system. It featured an AM-FM stereo receiver, a stereo cassette player recorder, an LED digital clock radio, and a built-in 8-track player, all for the low, low price of $149.95, or in today's money, about $475. 8-track may have been going down, but it was going down swinging. And probably the most amazing thing of all, 8-track almost made it to the end of the decade. Going into the late 80s, Columbia House still offered some titles on 8-track tape in the record and tape club. It's tough to completely verify, but the very last 8-track offered by a record label is believed to be Fleetwood Mac's Greatest Hits, released in November 1988. And if you want to take it one step further, Radio Shack continued to sell blank 8-track tapes under their brand called Realistic. The Radio Shack Low Noise 40 8-track tapes in their red and white packaging with 40 minutes of recording time continued to be sold until 1990. The fact that 8-track hung on as long as it did to the end of the 80s is a pretty remarkable thing. Growing up in the 80s, my basement was made up of fake wood wall paneling and orange shag carpet. This is a distinctive 1970s aesthetic, 
But this is what the 1980s looked like to me, especially in the early part of the decade. If my family represented the average household, it was a long time between interior design changes. I can only think of maybe three distinct remodels my parents have done in their house over the last 40 plus years. The truth is, we just don't change things that quickly, especially with tech or cars. And that's why 8-Track hung on as long as it did. It's why GE continued to make the loudmouth portable 8-Track player, and Sears continued to sell stereos with an 8-Track player. Just because something is new, like the CD player, doesn't mean it's going to instantly replace the other formats. Even though it first came out in 1982, I certainly didn't get a CD player right away. In fact, I didn't get my first player until 1993. And the first CD I ever got was not Midnight Marauders by a tribe called Quest like I claimed, but was actually the Jurassic Park soundtrack. I've actually never said that out loud before, so you should take this as a sign of trust for me to admit that. But the 1980s was an interesting time for format wars. We would get Nintendo versus Sega, but there was a battle at the start of the decade between VHS and Beta, and then the battle between cassette and 8-track. Both VHS and cassette tapes won their respective format war, while Beta and 8-track had to retreat and eventually fade away. But when all is said and done, 8-track had a pretty impressive run. From the mid-60s to 1988, 8-track as a format lasted 23 years. This is longer than Beta. The first Betamax machines came out in 1975, and the last major movie released on the format was Mission Impossible in 1996, giving 8-track the edge longevity-wise. Tech takes years and years to be adopted, and in the case of music or movies, people can get pretty attached to their collections, not to mention the time and money that went into assembling them. It turns out that 8-track was the little format that could. And on that bombshell, it's time to end. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, there's plenty more where that came from. I mentioned some previous episodes, but for your further listening pleasure, I recommend you checking out my shows about the history of the Walkman, the battle between VHS and Beta, and the history of Laserdisc. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Everything 80s podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. That way, you don't miss out on new episodes. If you're in a position to help support the show, you can consider joining Patreon.com. That's the platform to get access to bonus 1980s content, like the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast, where I review the good, the bad, and the ugly of 1980s movies. If you want to see what that's all about, just head on over to patreon.com slash 80s. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash 80s, or click on the link in the description. So thank you for spending your time with me here today. Thank you for the support, whether this is the first episode you've heard or you've been here since the beginning. It couldn't happen without you. So I'm Jamie. This has been Everything 80s, but I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.